Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Loud and Local continues on The Rock with Kevin Deers, 99.9 KISW. It's Loud and Local doing something called the Stay Home Sessions. Uh, last time you heard, I was talking with Kathy Faulkner, a legend in Seattle rock radio. Uh, right now I'm talking to Dave Larson, who is, um, you might not know his name, but uh, you probably should because he's put out some incredible records. He puts out incredible content, both uh, podcasts, YouTube. Uh, he's a writer. He's uh, he's an all-around just an interesting creative guy. Uh, so he's someone that I've looked up to. Uh, I started going to hardcore shows in like 2002, 2003, and I always knew him from Excursion Records. That was Dave Larson, man. Uh, so yeah, dude, Dave Larson, I've wanted to have you on the podcast. I've wanted to have you up on the show. Obviously we can't get into the studios right now. Everything's on lockdown, but, uh, how are you doing, man? How are you holding up? How's quarantine treating you? How are you staying sane? <laughs> I, I, I'm doing great. Um, you know, quarantine is, is a pretty terrible thing for everybody, but, uh, I, I don't want to say I enjoy it, yeah. but it, it suits me at this point. Um, like I, I have so much um, editing and like you said, you know, I, I don't want to say content creation because it sounds so pretentious, but <laughs> I had this quarantine thing came along right at the time when I just had a ton of stuff that needed my attention. Yeah. So for right now, I'm still working on a backlog. I suppose when that runs out here in a week or so, I'll start actually looking around going, oh, no, what now? But um, I still feel like I haven't come up for air. So being home is kind of what I mostly would have been doing anyway right now. So when you're not, um, you know, quarantined, do you have like a day job that you have to go to? Or are you pretty much a working from home kind of kind of guy anyways? Such an interesting question you ask. Um, <laughs> so, OK, I do um, podcast engineering for Cadence Leadership. Yeah, that's a Rams, a, Ram. uh, a Rams thing. Yeah, I, I listen to your yeah, podcast. Yeah, Ram Arslanian's company. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's not full-time uh, yet. Mm -hmm. Hopefully that is something that is moving towards. But between that and various like production assistant jobs that I'll do in the film industry, um, and then my own gigs that I have that I've created for myself, which is doing my own podcast. I'm working on this YouTube channel now, and I do a lot of like reselling online. I've always mm. been like an eBay you know, seller. Yeah. And then even before the days of the internet, I was selling stuff through like magazine ads. So it's oh, wow. kind of, I've piled up like a number of different odd jobs type thing. But in terms of like, you know, punching the clock and going in Monday through Friday, no, I haven't had that for a long time. 
You uh, mentioning something about film there had me think, like, how could I have not have introduced you as the creator of one of the most iconic Northwest (laughs) hardcore films, Edge of Coral? Wait, no, 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 no. I just said one of the most iconic Northwest hardcore films. How are are, are there any other Northwest hardcore films? I don't think so. This is... Oh, yeah, sure there are. There are? I mean... (laughs) Moshbot? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) yes. Yeah, I, you you asked and answered the question. I think. <laughs> so I, I must I must get into a couple edge of coral questions a little bit later. But uh, you are uh, a man of uh, you, you've you've kind of cobbled together all kinds of uh, you know like you know you're selling on the side, you're doing podcast engineering, you're doing some film stuff, but somehow it all squeezes uh, into like making uh, a living. Uh, I would hope, and uh, well, you could you could say that. <laughs> I mean, I suppose the you know my my lady might think it could be definitely better. <laughs> well, okay, so it's a, it's a group effort around here. I throw in as much as I can. Uh, it, sometimes it's better than others, you know. So there was a time where I'm not sure how far this this project went, but you were trying to get a million dollars worth of pennies. Is that correct? Oh, oh no, that is incorrect. And and I, I hate to, I'm not, I should yes and you. I'm sorry. Okay, no, it's okay. No. You can mansplain it, yeah. me. Um, um, yes, and actually, what it was was a million pennies. Oh, a million pennies. Okay, so right, a million dollars in pennies is really <laughs> staggering. <laughs> A staggering amount of metal. And I have to say, uh, a million pennies would have been a real true staggering amount of metal. Also, I only got up to like 40,000 pennies. And then it became too much to move those things around the house. And, and did you just go to the bank and you're like, here you go? Uh, yeah, in the end. And, and that thing didn't. Okay. And the, the, the truth about the, pen, the penny project is what I was calling it. Yeah. Was I had kind of ground down into a place in my life where I had no like creative output. Things weren't happening with the label. Things mm-hmm. had gotten weird kind of locally, the music scene. And I wasn't, I just, I didn't have an output and I didn't really know how to respond to that. Mm-hmm. And so I started the Petty Project as something I could do online and maybe, maybe solve some of my financial issues. My idea was it would lead me to something where I could see a different route yeah. with what I was doing. And um, so, I mean, the million pennies wasn't going to do it, but it was just going to be a project to move me in a good direction. And that happened much faster. Like that, things outside of the penny project overtook my life and I couldn't really keep it up anymore. So rather than just flog a dead horse, I just got, I was done with it. Dude, I, I'm, I'm thinking now, like, if this were to work in the time of, like, you, you know, doing your YouTube, you could do, like, um, you know, that Suicidal Tendencies song, Send Me Your Money? You could do, like, a, you could do, send me your pennies. Well, so I'm kind of doing the opposite thing, <laughs> send me your pennies. I'm kind of trying to do the opposite thing with YouTube where I'm, I'm like, searching coin rolls. One of the things I do is I do coin roll searching, which I didn't know was a thing. Okay. And you find kind of, like, rare error coins and, like, silver coins, that like, things that shouldn't have made it into the regular money supply. And you pull those out. So you get them from the bank, you get them at face value, and then sometimes you can find things that are worth more. But I'm I'm going to be giving all that stuff away. Oh, wow. To watch the channel. Okay. So really, it's the other way. Don't send me money. Watch my channel. Maybe I'll send you money. Ooh, you gotta have one of those like. Remember that guy who was like, uh, who was like, uh, had a commercials where he was wearing that like dollar bill suit. Uh, 
No, that guy. Well, he was he was had a find free government grant. Exactly, money. exactly. You need one of those I suits. Actually, I looked through that book once. Oh, I think that would be too. One, I would be embarrassed, and and then other people would be like, "Yeah, that's too on the nose." Okay, so we gotta get uh, we gotta get into this. This so you you said it's a, it's kind of cringy to say content creator, but I'll just say, man, there uh, you know, move over thirteen uh, year old t- uh, toy unboxers. Dave Larson's new, the new YouTuber. So uh, I listen to your podcast. I've known you too long, and a lot of uh, Northwest music knowledge in there, and and you just go down on these rabbit holes of just like it's like deep dives with people that you've literally known. You say you've known too long. And, you know, everyone from Ron Gardapi, RIP, to uh, John Pettibone, to Greg Abenick from Trial, from people that literally I've never met, I've never even heard of, but you have such a good conversational skill and such a good uh, podcasting, uh, you know, like, I don't know, just a manner about you that it's just an interesting listen. And sometimes episodes go to two, two and a half hours, but it's a great listen. Thank you for Thank you for saying that. Yeah, it's it's a great listen, man, and and I would definitely suggest it if if you want to know about some some uh, get into the weeds of of underground Northwest punk and hardcore and emo and and just uh you know the stuff that didn't necessarily rise up to the like sub pop or or quote unquote grunge level. Uh, you were down, you were in the thick of it as far as like the early '90s hardcore and punk, and I want to get to that, but um, as far as uh, what made you pivot to, you know, taking uh, taking things to the YouTube channel? And uh, I, I actually have not subscribed, so I'm going into this ignorant. What uh, what are your what is your focus on YouTube, dude? So okay, so the the channel is called Quarter Bash, like like a quarter, you know, yeah. that you put in a, a video game, and then bash like, well, I don't know, it sounds like quarter flash, um, <laughs> and I literally it doesn't mean anything. I was just. One morning, I just had the epiphany that that was a cool-sounding name for a channel where you a lot of the channel would be looking at coins. Okay. So, um, okay. So it goes to this. I've actually done things on YouTube for a number of years, really sporadically. If people go out there, you can find a video that is a guy eating crazy bread. It's called the proper way to eat crazy bread and sauce. <laughs> okay. That's me. All That's right. Me. <laughs> I'm up there as, as a person named Doug Lawless, which is like an alter ego thing that I was doing for a while. <laughs> so that's that's the kind. I would just make silly stuff like that, like proper way to make top ramen. I just made a bunch of dumb, like fun videos like that, and I put up music videos like you know a botch video here and there, stuff like that. Sure. But lately, I'm trying to focus a little bit because, you know, I feel like that would be smart. Um, my dad is a big prospector. Like my whole life, he was obsessed with getting out into the world. And he's obsessed with looking for gold mainly. Oh, wow. And he he's not like a like he likes to like walk on the ground and like, you know, get in the streams with a gold pan. He's literally like an old school guy. He wow. would have been, my dad would have been totally fine two, 300 years ago, just like out, out in the woods trying to find something, you know? Yeah. And I, I honestly, it's, he doesn't ever find a ton of anything. I have always thought he really loved the process and that's just kind of his way of enjoying the world. Yeah. Um, and he has found a bunch of cool stuff. Like he, he's got wild stories, but, um, that's in my blood a little bit. And for me, it always, 
it always came through in, this is going to sound crazy, maybe, but I shouldn't use that word. This is going to sound strange, but uh, I've always felt like that's why I was so attracted to things like record collecting. Yeah. Because I'm always looking for the gems out in the wild, you know? Uh-huh. And so even back in like the, like, you remember Maximum Rock and Roll? Of course. I assume people know yeah. Maximum Rock and Roll. Well, they used yeah. to have a classified section. So even before the internet, before anyone was using the web, people were buying and selling and trading records in the back of Maximum. So I started doing that when I was still in my teens. Um, and and so this channel, I know this is a long way to get around to it. I apologize. Ah, you got this me, channel dude. Is a, this channel is basically all forms of treasure hunting in my life. So whether it's whether it's going out and finding rare vinyl or cool collectible things, I like toys and miniatures and yeah. nerdy stuff like that. Um, or I just discovered, you know, that people are doing magnet fishing. Do you know what magnet fishing is? Not at all. People get these super powerful magnets, <laughs> put them on ropes, and throw them into lakes and rivers and see what kind of stuff they could pull out. Wow. And they're finding, like, okay, this is an extreme example, but, like, you know, every once in a while you pull, like, a gun that someone disposed <laughs> of. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> or, you know, it just so and, you know, the the way I find out about this stuff is watching all this stuff on YouTube. Yeah, and I just I absolutely I absolutely love it. So um, one of the things that was simple that I realized I could start doing at home was coin roll searching. And that's you just go get a box of coins from the bank mm-hmm. and then you just open them all and search all the coins. And, you know, you get half you get half dollars, you get 50 cent pieces every once in a while. There's a silver one from before 1970. And those are worth more money than 50 cents. So you're literally just taking something, you're just making something from nothing, kind of. And it was surprising to me that there were so many people that were into this and thought oh. it was interesting. And the more I, the more I got into it, the more I realized I want, I want to do this. I want to be part of this. I'm going to add it to my whole kind of overall treasure hunting thing. Yeah. So I decided to make a channel about it. Is this is this something that you know you want uh, you have any uh, desire to like you know grow and and, and is there a uh, a place for monetization in the world of quarter bashing? Yes, <laughs> there is, but I mean I'm not really like I feel like so I have I just passed a hundred subscribers. Okay, yeah, yeah. So and I started it in February, so it's just like I'm just getting going. So if you start thinking about oh I'm going to make all this money, like no. No, nah, I don't think that's a good way to approach it necessarily. I think I just want to have fun yeah. and make cool stuff and see how many people I can get involved. If it grows to the point that it makes money, cool. If it doesn't, as long as I'm having a good time, I got to do something with my time. <laughs> hey, that's how I started in radio, you know, college radio. I was like, uh, yeah. you know, I just wanted to do it. I love it. I loved the and, – and at this point, you know, if radio ended tomorrow – I would still do a podcast. I would just do this. Like I'm at home recording stuff on my own time because I love the process. And if, if you just love the process, then that's the most beautiful thing about it is in the end, like, you know, you don't necessarily, it's not about the end. It's, it's, you know, or like the means to the end or whatever, whatever that way of saying it, like you just love the process yeah. that, and, uh, you know, I mean, that's the whole thing with, with, uh, and, and tying this back to everything that I know about you is, uh, and through listening to your podcast, and it's not like you ever probably ever imagined that you know Excursion Records would become like Electra Records or something. Like it was. Well, just- no, I was just gonna say I did a punk rock record label for over twenty years. I had been definitely not that into making money. <laughs> 
yeah, l- let's uh, let's pivot to that, man. So, uh, <laughs> what? what uh, okay, well, let me ask you this one. And there's a question that uh, you know you may have answered before, but it's something that I like to ask. Uh, and even if it's, okay. if it's embarrassing, uh, if you can think back to the first time that you actually spent money, your own money, on an album, what was the album that you purchased? Oh, you know, I ask this of people all the time. But no one's ever asked you. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, well, I, I may have. So for me, it's weird because I break it up. I break it up in terms of like, you know, I always think of like punk rock or hardcore mm-hmm. because that was like the place where, where like my musical taste kind of became my own and changed. And, uh, you know, so. But you weren't born so, cool, but, Dave. But you, <laughs> so the first thing. OK, so the first thing I can remember ever getting that was my own is not a full-length album it is it is the queen seven inch nice with the flash gordon soundtrack theme song nice it's got it's got the flash theme and then the other side's got the the song that plays during like the football game in that movie Uh that takes place in the throne room <laughs> that's the first. I think that's the first thing that I got that was mine. That I either spent allowance money mm-hmm. or I don't know how I got it. Um, right around that same time, the Grease soundtrack. Yeah, also a big thing. Uh, within a very short period of time, I also had the soundtrack to the Muppet movie, which might sound weird, but I had that and ACDC Back in Black. Nice. So I I have always felt like if you take if you take the Grease soundtrack the Muppet movie soundtrack and ACDC and like smash it together and you blend it up, you might get like my perfect pop punk song. <laughs> That's a good point. Hey, and they'd probably look like social distortion, you know, if they put the grease exactly. thing. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so what, um, you know, what was kind of your gateway to, to punk rock, to underground music? Uh, I know in your podcast, you, you've mentioned that you, you actually ran your own skate skateboard store. <laughs> so uh if you tell my if too many aspects of the, my story it begins to sound like someone just making up lies <laughs> so i just want to i i understand that but these things are true okay so when i was 16 years old i opened up a skateboard shop with my friend randy up in bellingham washington yeah so i and, i'm I, I went to college in bellingham can you tell me like exactly what was it like fairhaven neighborhood or no it was uh it was basically Kitty Quarter from Whatcom Middle School on the corner of DuPont and F Street. I know exactly what you're talking about. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It was. It's now a. It's now a uh, coffee shop called like Letter Street Coffee or something. Okay. Like okay. And um, <clears throat> yeah, it was a little. It was. It had been a skateboard shop before. So there had been a skateboard shop called Wipeout that we used to go to, and then they closed. And when we got this idea, my my friend's father said, "You guys spend so much money on those skateboards, you should open a store." At 16 years old. Well, he said that to us as a passing comment at dinner. And we both put our heads together and went, I think he was serious. And so we put a proposal together, like a pitch, basically, to his dad saying, like, loan us the money. And oh I, had like, I had like $400 of my own money, so I thought I was rich. Yeah. And so, like, we, we, we opened the thing for, like, $2,500 total. And we, like, the, the rent on the building was less than 200 bucks a month. Oh, my God. So it was, I mean, it was very, it's so, it's just pennies compared to today. Yeah. So we did this and yeah, and we were the only ones like we, it wasn't like there was a parent that worked in there and we worked for them. Like, no, we, they helped us 
with things that we couldn't do, like co-sign on the lease because we were 16 or or like, you know, my dad helped us build shelving and stuff. Yeah. But they, you know, they didn't work like we were the ones that were in the store every day. That's a dream come true. <laughs> it was cool. I, it, it actually I have the photos and I have the memories and so I know that it happened, but when I think of it, it doesn't seem possible. So when you're running this shop, is it is it the skateboarding that gets you into punk rock, or is it punk rock that gets you into skateboarding, or do they kind of happen oh, at the same right, time? Yeah. We got there by way of another conversation. So um, I was walking with a friend of mine mm-hmm. right at the beginning of high school, like right in between like junior high and high school, walking to a 7-Eleven. He had his boombox, and he said, you've got to hear this crazy uh, band I just found Uh-oh. a friend in the recording of this. It was suicidal tendencies. Nice. It was the first album. Um, and so hearing, I saw your mommy and your mommy's dad Uh-oh. and I shot Reagan, all the stuff on that record that is really out there. Right. Yeah, yeah. All I was a Pepsi. It was a, that was a, that walk was the first time I heard him say, all I wanted was a Pepsi. Uh-huh. Like that was a life changer. Like there was no, like, like, we walked maybe six blocks to a Seven Eleven, and mm-hmm. then back to his father's apartment, and then my life had changed. And from that point on, he was my conduit to music. So he immediately went out. He had more contacts than I did for people that could get music. So the next thing he came back with, like a week later, was like a Sex Pistols tape. That's awesome. And we were kind of like, why did we not know about this? And then as soon as you do that, as soon as that door is cracked open, mm-hmm. you start trying to force it open. It's like... Well, are there magazines that talk about this? Are there movies? What is this stuff? Like, mm-hmm. you know, Repo Man, what's this movie? Oh, hey, Thrasher Magazine has punk music in it, but look, skateboarding is cool. Yeah. Do we get these skateboards? They're very expensive, you know? And then just for whatever reason, that overtook my whole group of friends, and we all got into skating. This was like this was like fall and winter of uh, 1985. Wow. And then and and so, you just kind of go down that, that path, and then uh... – I mean, how how long until um, you're seeing like hardcore shows and stuff? Because I, I I remember the like iconic photos of of like Inside Out at uh in in a garage in in Bellingham. How long of a time period before you you know discover this this new crazy caustic sounds to then going and, and seeing it live and booking these bands and and seeing these bands and playing in these bands? Okay, so I would say the Inside Out show is. Uh is April. In fact, the Inside Out show was 30 years ago yesterday when wow. we were recording this. Awesome. Um, it was April of 1990. So four years. So okay. Four years when you're a teenager. Four years from 16 to 20. So oh, that's those important. years aren't like, they're not like now. Yeah. Like, it's like your whole life is happening in front mm-hmm. of you. You're just becoming an adult and a month is a long time. You yeah. know? So Four long years of like, you know, in that time we opened and closed the skateboard shop Mm -hmm. while we were doing the skateboard shop. My friends and I were all doing different band things, too. Mm -hmm. And then that's how we were discovering, like, you know, meeting Ron and discovering Brotherhood and coming to Seattle and and expanding our world that way. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, we should figure out how to do shows. Um, the, the, The how did we book the show that goes back to a band called Filthy McNasty which was a high school punk rock band. Great name. Yep. That it was a good name. They, they were like a skate, a skate rock band. Yeah. Um, and two of those dudes were straight edge guys or became straight edge guys. That band broke up. 
and those two guys started another band called First Step, which mm. was a straight edge band from Bellingham. Mm-hmm. And they inherited the PA that Filthy McNasty had bought. Filthy McNasty would play parties and those would be their shows, right? So we'd go to a party and they'd have this PA and they'd have they'd drag the stuff out somewhere and everyone would get drunk and there'd be a mosh pit. Okay. Yeah. First step got that PA. And so they they made that I ended up buying that PA eventually so that we could basically just keep it um in the scene yeah. and put on shows with it. It wasn't good or anything, but it was something. So that's how, you know, it was a combination of having that equipment um, and then wanting to make shows happen that weren't like drunk parties, but actually were like hardcore shows. So Bill Baker, who's a close friend of mine from childhood, mm-hmm. um, he uh, he ended up being a guy that was really great at contacting people and talking. So he started saying, hey, yeah, we could do a show. And Bill's the kind of guy that will say, yeah, we can do something especially back then. And then you had no idea you could do it. You would just figure it out. Yeah. So he'd kind of get us into jams and then we'd, we'd get out of them by doing the show. And, and this is all, I mean, pre-internet, like just social networking. So when you say book a show, you do you mean like actual make a phone call or like snail mail? Like how, how do you book shows back then? Well, I, and this is, Bill did it. I'm honestly like he was the point of contact <laughs> and he was making himself the point of contact, which is good. Yeah. So, and I, I feel like I, t- I felt like I was talking Bill down there a minute ago. Yeah, he'd get us into jams, and that he'd be like, "Hey, we have a show we have to put on in two months. We can find do a it. place, yeah, and book, yeah." And so, which was a great jam to get in, you know. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, back of Maximum Rock and Roll was a big thing. Contacts everybody that you knew in a band that would go on tour. They'd have contacts and phone numbers and stuff, and these phone numbers would get passed around. So Bill would start getting phone calls saying, like, you know, Ron Gardepe said you were a guy to talk to about a possible show in Bellingham. Nice. Stuff like that. And and then, you know, as it went on, it just you just became part of like the contacts. Or it wouldn't matter. Like Ron was a definite contact in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And he was doing overkill records and doing ads and maximum mm-hmm. and doing scene reports and all that stuff. So he would often say, I can, yeah, I can get you two shows in the Northwest or I can get you three shows in the Northwest. And then he would like subcontract shows. He'd call Bill and say, make this show happen. I'm going to bring these guys up. We're going to do Bellingham and Vancouver and Seattle. So it was like a network of people that were like plugged in and like hyper plugged in. That's cool. Yes. Yes, and and it's it, like it doesn't function. I mean, it doesn't function without Ron, pretty much. That's and, awesome. You know, we always talk of Ron as being so important to the creation of the Northwest hardcore scene, but that's because he's always right at the center of things back then. Yeah, I, 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 and 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 if you're listening to this and, and you don't know Ron Gardapi, know that he is a, an awesome guy. Uh, he passed away just this past year. Uh, he was a singer of Brotherhood. He was in some other killer bands. Uh, let me see here. What other bands was did he do? He did uh, Resolution, Resolution, um, Hateful Youth, Hateful Youth. There was another band that he s- sent me. Die Down. Yeah, that was the band. That was Die Down. Was that was a really cool song that he sent me. Uh, but Ron, I played I played bass in that. Which oh, nice. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, but and it was all. I mean, that's all Mark from Undertow. Like that was with Mark and Ryan uh, from Undertow. And so, like, I feel like you know, I'm glad that Ron and I were able to be involved in that. But those those two are quite a combination musically. 
listen to the podcasts with uh, Ron Gardapi on uh, the I know I've known you too long uh, feed. Uh, subscribe to that and definitely listen. And, and and the thing that's interesting is is not only do you listen to the Ron Gardapi, but if you're if you do a deep dive in all of the episodes, uh, I think that his name comes up more often than not with with. Uh, at mm-hmm. least conversations with people that are involved in DIY and Seattle hardcore and underground music. You know, you talk to John Pettibone and he'll talk about how, you know, Ron Gardapi's the first person who gave him, you know, these tapes and, and would bring him to shows at Natasha's and, and all these things. So it's like, you're, you're totally right, man. He's that common thread and it's, uh, it's not w- without him, you know, th- there'd be a lot less hardcore kids in Seattle, at least at that time. And then, uh, you know, I, th- I think, uh, R.I.P. Ron, man, awesome dude. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he is missed. Absolutely. He. Uh, I was. I was. Uh, um, so Blaine from the Accused AD. He. I, I saw him uh, post on on Facebook. He he said something about like, you know, what are some like four or five people that you know you, that are no longer with us that you would just love to party with or go to a show with. And the first thing was, I was like, man, Ron Gardapi. That was definitely someone I would love to see a metal show with. Uh, I remember one time, uh, it was a few years back, but I just had an extra pair of tickets from Metal Shop uh, for Slayer, and it was uh, and I and I just I hit up Ron, and he's like, "Are you f- kidding me?" He just happened to be in Seattle, and he sent me a Brotherhood, uh, the Southern Lord reprint. He sent me a Brotherhood test press, just and and a T-shirt, oh, super nice. Just because yeah. I, I gave him a pair of Slayer tickets that would probably have gone to waste, or I you know I give them to another friend or something, but you know I just. I wanted to hook up a friend, but he he was such a such a good dude. So absolutely, um, so it had a huge impact. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, you know we're talking about the early days of, of of booking shows, and we're talking about that. And uh, what inspired you to to do it yourself and start your own label? So Excursion Records. Um, we'll get into some of the albums you you put out, but uh, what what made you uh, want to start Excursion Records? So it was a combination of having done the record, the skateboard shop, yeah, and seeing Ron do Overkill Records. There's so, Ron again. Like, yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then uh, Brian Bauer, who lived with Ron, was also doing a record label. That was a label called Scorch, and they cool. put out a bunch of. They put out the Resolution 10 inch, and they put out a bunch of other great stuff. Galleon's Lap, which was a band with Greg Anderson from Brotherhood, and. Um, and son and uh and just a, he did a bunch of other good stuff then he became he also ran a label in the northwest called rx remedy a little bit later okay which did more stuff kind of like in conjunction with sub pop um i hope i was saying that right brian if you're listening but uh <laughs> those guys lived together and so i was seeing like all the activity they were doing with their labels and i was like okay these are guys i can ask like what pressing plan are you using how do you do it mm-hmm. Um, and both Bill and I were in the process of doing labels. Um, and then mine ended up getting off the ground. Um, and it was weird. I was trying to put together a compilation for my first record and the only, and it was going to be mostly hardcore stuff, but the only band that was coming through for me was this pop punk band called 1007. Mm-hmm. So I ended up doing like a pop punk seven inch first and just learning like how you make the orders, how you, you know, how you do all that. And I was, it wasn't that alien because, like, I had just got done. Like, I started the label. The first re- release came out in 1990, but we had closed the skateboard shop six months earlier. So the shop was open for two years, and I basically was in that same situation kind of with the Penny Project. I think themes are going to repeat in my life. Yeah. I had to have a project. Like, I had to have something mm-hmm. to be doing creatively. So 
with the shop down, I started doing a zine and then I'm like, well, I do a zine. I should, I should do a record label to go along with this. And so I just started excursion records. And, and, uh, after all the years of doing the label and, and from what I understand, the label is retired at this point. Yeah. I mean, I don't, the last release was a thing with Greg Bennett called Legant, which okay. is, um, and then that was, I wasn't all, I already wasn't going to be doing any more with it. Okay. So that was kind of a fun project with a friend. If, if, if next year, like I just decided I wanted to put out another excursion record, I would, mm-hmm. but for the, yeah, like there's nothing happening with excursion now in terms of it being a business, it's dead. So after, uh, and, and so that was, uh, quite a run, uh, and, and, and for a while there, you were putting out, uh, pretty consistent releases, uh, and, and you put out some pretty killer hardcore and underground music, uh, in the Northwest. And I would, uh, encourage anyone to check out like, uh, maybe do you, like a Discogs page or something. I'm not sure. I can't imagine yeah. you would have like a Wikipedia page or anything. How would, I don't think there's a Wikipedia, but you can find all the releases on Discogs. Um, what's, sure. uh, I hate to put you on the on the uh, spot here, but I do have to. Uh, I know it's probably like picking like picking your favorite children, but if someone were to want to deep dive into Excursion, what are five like crucial albums you think that could tell the story, or at least ones that you think are like the cream of the crop? Five Excursion releases. Well, Undertow at both ends. Yeah, like that's the that's the release of the label. I feel like, mm-hmm. um, because those guys are just amazing. It was such a good time. And I was so lucky to be there to be able to be involved in that. Yeah. Um, so, Oh, I almost feel like I need a list of them to look at. Uh, <laughs> I, I did get a chance to put out two records, uh, that had, um, Bill Baker singing. Bill Baker's name keeps coming up in this too. He's yeah. like, you know, a, another big, huge influence in my life. He was in a band called Jawbreaker. Or, <laughs> sorry. Oh, really? Jayhawker. <laughs> Jayhawker. No, you can see how I made that mistake. Same for sure. For sure. For sure. <laughs> Jayhawker. And then he was another band called Slow Side Down. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, the Jayhawker scale model failure seven inch that I put out and the, uh, Slow Side Down impractical strategies seven inch that I put out are, I just absolutely adore them. Um, let me see. What else have I got? I'm gonna. I really feel like there's a lot here to to go through, and I'm gonna miss some. Left with nothing. Wrote yeah. a big deal for me. The 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 good things come to those who wait. CD. It, it's cheating because it includes the wishing in reverse seven inch, but <laughs> that is that's quite a release. I was very happy with that. I wish more had happened with that. Um, incredible I live band. Very, too. What is that? Incredible live band. Oh yes, absolutely. Um, I was uh, really excited to work with To See You Broken. Oh yeah, um, that was something. That was a band that uh, was, you know, it was a revelation for the idea that there was a there was a an all female hardcore straight edge band. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like what? <laughs> this is something I've been like kind of hoping for. Um, there wasn't a lot of that at the time, and I, I really loved uh, everything that they did, and I, I was able to put out. Uh, a four song seven inch and eight song CD for them. That yeah. was I really enjoy that. Um, but that, so what is that? It's five, right? Yep, that's five. Okay, there's, there's other stuff. I didn't even touch on botch. You know? Oh yeah, botch was in there too. So 
Are you surprised at the amount of admiration that Botch has received, uh, you know, post-Humus? No. no. So I, let's just be clear. There's there. I don't believe that enough admiration could be given to Botch. Oh, okay. Like, you can't, like, whatever level they rose to, they were better than that. Nice. And that's just, you could see it when they were, when they were just coming out of that phase where they were just done a couple of demos and they were getting ready to release that first seven inch, mm-hmm. you know, even before they became the monstrosity and the amazing thing that they were, you could see it happening. And it, I've rarely seen a band like that, just fire happening. Like I'd go see them, like see like the velvet Ellis, I'd go see a early boss show and just know that I was witnessing the rise of something like incredible. And I was telling them this at the time, like I just really, really loved botch. So seeing what, being able to watch that band become what it did and end the way that it did. And then watch everyone's estimation of them just keep rising after they were gone. It felt like a, I don't know. It was one of those great things. It felt, it must be like what my dad feels like when he says there's gold there. And then there is, (laughs) Hey, that's a good, uh, you know, kind of comparison. I, uh, and 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 the thing about botch is uh it seems like they're never going to reunite and and that's almost like a magic <sighs> a magic about it but like a part of you wants to see it again but then a part is like it's you kind of appreciate that they're like no uh, we're just going to let it let it rest yeah you can't i mean they 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 can't tarnish their reputation if they don't get together and tarnish it right yeah exactly that being said i want to see a botch <laughs> right yeah, uh, and 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 if you want to see some some killer botch, uh, some killer, I, I believe botch is actually in Edge of Coral. Is that right? Yeah, there's a there's a uh, botch show at that was shot at Ground Zero. Yeah, um, and it's early. It's uh, I think I think the first LP was out. So I think um, was that yeah, unifying I, themes. I, no, no, that was a collection of uh, seven inches and compilation tracks. Oh, okay. So the first, like, legitimate, like, I don't know why it's. I've, I, I know what you're talking about. Someone listening is going to be like, you, yeah, you know, not we are the Romans. Yeah. The other one. The other uh, one. So, <laughs> the other full length. But um, yeah, so they're they're in there, and then I also put, uh, I also threw the entire uh, film of that show up on YouTube. You can find it um, if you go to nobody'snose.com, which is like where I keep the. I've known you too long podcast mm-hmm. and you go through the different posts there. There is a post that has all of the, all of that bot show. So I filmed on a high camera and there, you know, they, they did a lot of like strobe light effects mm-hmm. and went from light to dark. So a lot of the show, you're just hearing the music in the dark, but you can see the entire, you know, the entire set they were playing at the time. I put that up on YouTube a couple years ago. I'm going to have to check that out. And, and, and that movie, uh, it actually introduced me to trial. Actually, that's not true. That's not true. I got a trial CD from a pawn shop in Kent for the uh, <laughs> for the foundation EP for like $1. I got that, and then oh, wow. I got a, uh, a compilation CD called West Coast versus East Coast Hardcore. Um, and I got that, uh, it's like a purple CD. I got that, that introduced me to like all kinds of, you know, and that was put out by like, uh, revelation and victory and a bunch of bands. But, you know, those are a couple of my first hardcore CDs. Um, 
But Edge of Coral, man, like it, it definitely introduced me to Mercy Devils and, and Rocky Vaudelado. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, the, the insanity of, of what it was like on set, man. Like what, first off, what was the idea behind this? Obviously it's, uh, if you're not familiar, it's a black and white film, uh, produced by Dave Larson and, uh, and it's, uh, Punks versus Straight Edge. On, on one side, we got like the Murder City Devils. On the other side, we got John Pettibone from, from Eris, <laughs> from Himsa, from Undertow. Um, had, had you been writing, writing it and like, was it just going to originally be a book or was this like the master plan to make this, this movie? And, and how did you convince uh, all your friends to, to join it? <laughs> okay. Uh, you probably won't be surprised to know that it goes back to Ron again. Oh, yeah. Um, no, there, there was beef uh, for a brief time in the early 90s Seattle scene between, like, straight edge and punk rock. And it was, it was like Ron versus Last Gasp. Okay. Like Ron and Brian. And Ron had put out a Last Gasp 7-inch on Overkill. Like, Ron was into that stuff, and then I don't know what caused it. But there was this, there was all this like, and when I say there was beef, it was probably like two months. Mm-hmm. But I remember being really distraught at the time. Like, what are you guys doing? Like, I'm a straight edge guy, but I'm a straight edge guy with long hair that skateboards, and half my friends aren't. You, yeah. you can't do this. You can't do this. So, so you were the Rocky Vaudelato. I mean, yeah, except I wasn't coming back to my hometown, and I didn't know most of the people who were fighting. I just didn't like, I never liked that, like, I was had a problem with that idea of a separation between like straight edge and like punk. Like I always thought it, these were all just like, we're all on the same side, you mm-hmm. know, that's, that was my take on it. So I always had that in my head. And then do you remember <laughs> that there was a show into another played at the sailors union of the Pacific hall in Belltown before it was El Gaucho steakhouse? No, I, I, that was before my time for sure. Lori Lefebvre put the show on. Okay. It was into another in seaweed, I think. Oh, that's anyway, awesome. Something happened outside Uh-oh. that show. This was like 96, I think. Uh, I may be wrong on the date, but something happened outside that show. And do you, uh, someone came running in and said, a guy just pulled a knife on Sea Hag. If you understand what that sentence means, <laughs> I'm not going to explain it any more than that, but a guy just pulled a knife on Sea Hag. And like, dozens of people just went running out the door onto first Avenue uh-huh. at like nine o'clock at night, completely empty. Cause it wasn't the Seattle that we have now. Yeah. And nobody knew where anybody, what, what had happened. Right. But there was this idea that the group, like the, the group of hardcore people was needed to stop an enemy. Uh-huh. So all these kids just went running down the middle of first Avenue towards where they thought this guy had run off to with his knife. And I saw this guy that I know running down the street, trying to break a glass soda bottle as he was running, like he was running and then leaning down and hitting it. Yeah. And he did that until it broke off in his hand. So he had like a, like, like a knife, like in the outsiders, like a broken bottle. Oh my God. And I just watched all that and like thought, this is wild. This should be a movie. This looks like a scene out of a movie. Now, of course, all of this ended with nobody finding anybody. People were just running around in the streets, yeah. right? But that stayed in my head. And I thought, man, if I made movies, that's the movie I'd make. I'd make this movie about people that go to shows that are like in these gangs that like run around after each other. Yeah. And then about a year after that, my friend Matt Matsuoka from 1007, mm-hmm. first band that I had on the label, he made a little punk rock movie called Heartbreak Beat, and it had 
Pettibone in it. Mm-hmm. He's a fairly major role in it. It's got Kerry Whitney is one of the main stars. Mm-hmm. Number of other guys uh, from lo- from you know local scene. He used a bunch of music, a bunch of hardcore music. So I feel like Matt made the first hardcore like hardcore movie. Okay. Even though he's not fully a hardcore dude, like it was full of hardcore people. It's got Pettibone in it. And yeah. I'm in it, and a bunch of you know Greg Benick's in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so he made that, and I got to watch him film the whole thing, see how he edited it. And the difference was, as soon as he finished that movie, digital editing was starting to come out. Oh. So he made us. He started to make a second movie called For the Cash, um, kind of the same with kind of the same thing, kind of the same vibe. Except he was going to be able to digitally edit that on a computer. And awesome. as soon as I saw that I'd be able to do that, I started making it like writing Edge of Quarrel. So I'm like, okay, now I've watched someone make a movie and edit it. And now I'm watching them start again, and this time the editing is going to be easier. Mm-hmm. I can do this. So I watched just like watching Ron do Overkill. I yeah. watched Matt do Perfect Beat. That's cool, man. And 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 how crazy is it that you know all these years later, and and you you kind of it's kind of like probably for you, it's probably just like oh my god, this you probably watch it back and and laugh. But like, how crazy is it that it's this movie that you know people probably in Europe uh, like watch it, and people all over the world have seen it, and it's like this like you know you could probably go to Scarecrow Scarecrow Video, and it's probably on DVD and VHS there. What's that like to you I- to know? Uh, that that's still out in the world being quoted and, and being watched. It is embarrassing, <laughs> but it is also, so here's the thing, like it, there's no place where people just think it's a good movie. Like, like you know what I mean? It's not, <laughs> yeah. like it's, it's not like anywhere in the world, like th- they don't have good entertainment. So they think it's it, like, <laughs> so you know, you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah, so, yeah, like, yeah. I think that there are people who genuinely enjoy it. I think there are people who genuinely dislike it. It just depends. Like, I tried to make as competent a film as I could for a person who had never made a film and didn't know what he was doing. Yeah. Um, there are moments I cringe at when I watch them back. And to this day, there are things that I absolutely love. So uh, it just, I, some of the things I was able to get and some of the things I wasn't, you know? Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a real... It's a real trip, man. And yeah, if I go into Scarecrow, I, I can see it there. And if I if I go onto YouTube and I search Edge of Quarrel, you can find the Spanish language version of oh it. God. Professional voice actors <laughs> from the film industry in Spain dubbed the movie. And let me tell you something, it's a lot better movie in Spanish. Hey. There's a market for that. Hey, uh, what's uh, what are a couple things that you? Okay, well, first off, if you were to make that today, would you still make the choice of putting it in black and white, or would you do color? Well, the choice of putting it in black and white was um, because, and I think this was for Matt too, because we weren't like there was no money. Like, the, like ah, okay, okay, it's not like when people say, "Oh, it's a low budget film." There was zero money. Like, how am I going to buy the next? Hi8 cassette to put in this camera, okay. the one camera I own, I hope nothing happens to it, right? Yeah. So the idea that, like, I would film something in one kind of light and the color would be off, I'd have to know about indoor and outdoor lights and kind of getting it. it was like There was no possible way yeah. any of that was going to be able to be part of the consideration. Like, I figured black and white would mask a lot of that. So it, That's I, a good point. It's, I think it's a much better movie, and I think Matt's movies also benefited from not having color in them. Okay. Well, you answer my question. And, and uh, was there ever, ever a consideration to do a sequel? Yeah. I mean, not okay, not real. Like, like I have. Okay, so 
back around the time I was doing the Penny Project, I, I was working on a script for Edge of Coral 2, which mm-hmm. is called True Tell Death. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but I never got past, like, I, I wrote about 45 pages of it. Um, but it, the problem... The problem is, like, aspects of that movie that were completely fictional, that were completely just made up, no one actually disliked each other. Like, within five to six years of Edge of Coral coming out, some of it wasn't quite so funny anymore. Mm. There was kind of a rise in actual gangs, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, so then the idea that... Or like those gangs had been there, but like they were more prominent mm-hmm. and they were affecting people's lives as the music scene kind of got bigger. And yeah, you couldn't really make like it wasn't it, it wasn't fun to tread those waters because it wasn't like, oh, man, then we could do this. This would be wild. Nothing like this would ever happen. It's like, oh, how, how do I compete with, um, you know, some of the videos that are out now, people beating each other up like better. I, I, I just. Yeah, it, it, I, I kind of lost my, uh, I lost my ability to, to, to work in that space. Um, reality became started, too real. Reality became too real. I started <laughs> focusing on writing like horror and fantasy stories. So let's talk about that, man. Uh, I just kind of want to finish up here, and I'm going to ask you a couple questions, but I'd like to sure. uh, offer you the chance to at least um, you know promote some of the stuff you do uh, as far as your writing. So what are uh, what's a good place to start uh, if we wanted to dive into what you write? Well, I think if you you can read some of the stuff that I've written that I have posted on Nobody's Knows. Mm-hmm. So if you go to nobodiesknows.com, spelled just like that, no mm-hmm. apostrophes or anything. Um, you'll find an article about the skateboard shop. It's called I owned a skateboard shop in 1987. You'll find uh, an account of the inside out show that we did in Bellingham. You'll find a few pieces of my writing there. Yeah. And you can also find, um, you can also find a link to a short book. It's called a novella. Technically it's even shorter than that. It would be a novelette. It's like an 89 page ebook. Okay. Um, it's a sci fi story that takes place in the world of Wool, which is a book by a guy named Hugh Howey. He wrote this thing called The Silo Saga, which is about it's multiple books about these people that live in an underground silo because there's been some sort of apocalypse in the up above world and they've been down there for hundreds of years and they, they yeah. don't know why they're down there. They don't know what happened. Okay. So he opened that up and let other people write stories in that world. Awesome. So I wrote a story called Shadow Killer that takes place in that. And I tried to stay as true to his original you know, concept for the world as possible. And so that is actually, you know, that's available on Amazon. It's cheap. I think it's $2.99. Or if you have Amazon Prime or if you have, you know, Kindle Unlimited, you can read it for free. So there's links to that on my website or you can search by my name. It's, I write under the name David R. Larson. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, definitely check out um, Shadow Killer. I have yet to check it out too. So, but you know what? I feel like if I were to jump in right there, I would be confused. I think I need to start with the actual, uh, start getting down to the uh, actual like uh, base of of the world that you wrote in. So. Oh yeah. Well, and the idea is that you should you. It's better if you've read Wool first. Okay. Okay. If not, you can still follow what's going on in the thing I wrote. Awesome. And uh, so if you want to check out some of his writing, again, nobody'snows.com. Uh, and and uh, last couple of questions here. Um, 
we're celebrating. Uh, so the reason I wanted to talk to you about uh, like a lot of uh, Northwest music and Northwest rock is tomorrow is uh, Seattle Rock Day on KISW, and, and they're uh, trying to help out a lot of people in need, um, and uh, they're trying to help out people and, and kind of lift their spirits and stuff. And um, is there an album uh, from the Northwest that you would suggest or something that um, for you, if you're feeling down, bummed out, anxious, depressed, just having a is there an album that you can go to and reach for, and it might be, you know, from anything here in the Northwest that you would suggest someone check out? Well, yeah. Um, so it's not necessarily that the, the, the music itself is uplifting, but a go-to album from the Northwest for me that not a lot of people know about mm -hmm. is the Galleon's Lap Themes and Variations LP. You actually and gave was, that to me. You 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 oh. you sent that record to me because you said that you are someone who who tracks that record down and you purchase it wherever you find it. I used to be able to do that. Uh, they people have caught on. Uh, <laughs> you know, some, so, Southern Lord Records kind of has a bit of a reputation now. The fact that that dude did this really phenomenal band and it was put out in such limited in such a limited way mm -hmm. back in his early days. People know that. So you don't find as many Galleon's Lap records and used record stores for three bucks anymore. But I'd buy every one that I could find, and I would send them to make sure people had it, you know? Yeah. Send it out to somebody. So I'm glad I, I – I, yes, I know I had given that record to people before. I'm glad you're one of the people. You hooked me up, man. You hooked me up. Uh, so Galleon's Lap is, is a suggestion, and, and um, on that same theme, um, you know, going back, you know, to 1985 and, and, and your journey through punk and hardcore and, and underground music, and I know you're you're interested in, uh, you have a wide variety of, of taste of music. Um, what are a few shows uh, within the Northwest that, like, you know, Flashpoint just, like, immediately stand out as, like, iconic breathtaking live performances that you you couldn't believe were happening um they need to be northwest bands uh sh ha shows that happened in the northwest so i went and saw like one of my first like really great like punk concerts i guess where mm -hmm. like you traveled to another town you went to uh to a bigger show was circle jerks seven seconds sgm and alphabet swill at the Community World Theater in Tacoma okay. in 1988, I yeah. think. Um, and that was SGM ended up becoming one of my favorite bands. They call, they, they put out a record uh, they, where they, they did like this weird like rap song and they like shouted out to Fallout Records in it and stuff. <laughs> nice. We had seen them, so we thought they were awesome. Yeah, revisiting that record, they maybe had not. some concepts in their lyrics and song titles that maybe aren't the best. But at the time, they seemed like a really cool band. Um, so that show made a big, uh, made a really big impression on me. Mm -hmm. Made a real big impression on Bill Baker too. He got beat up by skinheads. Uh oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, that's another classic story from that one. Um, so that was a big deal. Seeing Brotherhood in Lenny's basement wow. was for me like the birth of real hardcore. That was the place where where I was with a whole bunch of people that were only there because they knew about brotherhood or they knew about, there was a show at Lenny's basement in Bremerton. And it was the first time a band has played and the crowd moved in a different way. There wasn't a mosh pit. It was more like, like this was even before like, like 
were at a hardcore show, they'd be moshing. It'd be more just like people kind of like jumping up and down and sing along, finger pointing and kind of mm-hmm. like piling over each other to get to the mic and stuff, you know? Yeah. And Ron was just like assaulting the crowd. Like, <laughs> you know, next thing you know, Ron would just like, you know, smash and knock three people over and it was fantastic. So that show was a uh, uh, brotherhood first step. And I think refuse, um, out of Lenny's basement was, was a life changer for me. Nice, man. Well, that's a couple rad shows and, and, and I really appreciate you taking the time to do this interview and, um, you know, is, uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, steer people to nobody'snose.com. You can find I've Known You Too Long and, and also the Quarter Bash YouTube page. Uh, Dave Larson, dude, is there any final words you want to say to anyone who's listening to Loud and Local who might be home right now and kind of bummed out or, or just needs uh, some content in their lives? I'm sure. Hang in there. I know everybody's having a hard time with this. I'm seeing it in the people close mm-hmm. to me. I'm seeing everybody is kind of dealing with this in their own ways. I guess if I was going to say some of the people it's that my personal experience has been that people are kind of losing their cool uh, faster. You know, the, the camel's back is closer to breaking. So little things can kind of make people lose it, freak out. If you're with some people in quarantine and somebody maybe kind of goes off the deep end because they're upset about a dirty dish or, or something, yeah. give, give people like that, like give a little bit of leeway for people to kind of maybe act out a little. That's a pressure. I feel like that's a pressure release. Um, we've we've had conversations about that around that in, in our house here, like little things seem bigger when you kind of can't get out in the world and you're worried about the state of the world and you wonder if your rent's going to get paid or if your family's Mm going to be okay. All that stuff, even if you're able to put that aside, you may not have left room for you spilled the milk, you know? Give people much more of a pass than you may have in the past. Yes. And that includes online, social media. That includes everywhere. Like part of coming together is just being like, like trying to understand everybody's going through. We all understand right now what everybody's going through on this level, Mm -hmm. on this level, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So yeah, compassion. It's a good thing. Dave Larson, thanks so much for the, for the time. And, uh, uh, I'll talk Thank to you, you soon, man. bro. I really appreciate this. Yeah, I, this is awesome. I appreciate it, Kevin. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.